All right. Podcast 59, or maybe 60. It depends on if we do a live one between now and the time this one comes out. I'm not really <laughs> sure. Uh, Molly, you're back. I'm back. Glad to see you. How are how are things? Things are good. Things are good. You're coming off of a weekend. Yes. How was, how was that? You made it. Got through it. I think Slap Happy Day happened on Sunday oh, <laughs> instead of Monday. <laughs> for for those that are unaware, what is that context? <laughs> the context of that is like I kind of start my shifts on a Friday night, and it's like I start a normal normal me, and then Saturday comes, and I'm a little bit tired, and then Sunday it's like normally D personality is really strong, and then Monday it's Slap Happy Day where everything just makes me laugh. <laughs> it's just goofy, and then yeah. Tuesday morning rolls around, and then it's just like the edge is really sharp yes just stay away <laughs> yes molly's ready to get out of here <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh so yeah we've got you back um last time that you were in we talked uh i gave you a to-do item which i think was the first time i ever did that on the podcast to anybody so thanks for being a trooper uh, <laughs> um but the to-do item was to work on explaining um the process of like like how process relates to purpose and being able to draw the line because Ben's crazy theory is the more more clear that we can be on what our process is, um, how that impacts our shared purpose in a positive way, but then also what the return on investment is for the individual that is actually implementing that process, the, the more easily those things are to be implemented. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we talked a little bit about how some of us are maybe just more naturally adept to being able to um, abstract pro- uh, purpose onto process, some of us less so. Um, but that was something that you had identified as a potentially a gap. I'm not, I guess, you know, you can kind of talk about that and if you think it's actually a gap, um, but also in practice, kind of how's that been going? So your little homework assignment that you gave me actually ended up on my six-month review on something that I need to actually work on, um, explaining to new hires, people that have been here for a while, here's why, here's how we do something, and then explaining it to them why we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of made me realize that I need to actually do better at that, especially when I'm training people. Instead of rambling off a bunch of words and just running away, that it's like, here's what you're going to do. Here's why we do it. What's beneficial for the patient, for the caregiver. And it helps them actually learn as well too. Mm-hmm. Now in the context of that review, um, cause you and I just had a conversation about it. What mm-hmm. was the feedback that you got from the other parties that were kind of a part of that conversation? Uh, Annie and Trevor did agree. It is something that I, I can work on a little bit because mm-hmm. like I said, it's something I just say really fast and walk away. And then people are like, huh, I don't understand that. I've also noticed from a couple other people that new hires that they're like, well, this is why I was told to do this this way, but they're like, I have no idea why. Mm-hmm. Why do you guys do something like this? Mm-hmm. And then um, now you've had basically two weeks, if not a little bit short, but there's been a lot of shifts between now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, how has that practice been going? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure the first couple of times you've just been like, hey, you and I are going to talk for a minute and I'm not going to make any sense. And I'm going to work this out. That's how I felt the first, you know, well, actually every podcast ever. But um, how's, how's that been going? Oh, it hasn't. <laughs> okay, has it has it at least happening in your own head? It is in my like in the moment saying to someone like here's here's how you do something and this is why we do it. It doesn't work, and then it's like yeah. walk away, and it's like oh, let me come back and yeah. here, let's go back and go talk about why we did the way we did. Okay, so. okay. So <laughs> if as you're circling back, um, are you finding that it's what what are the difficulties maybe that you're starting to realize um, in in being able to abstract those things? Is it is it being too detailed? Is it not being detailed enough? Is it obviously forgetfulness and just being like caught up in the moment and not taking that time? I think is probably the first step. Um, but what are some of the barriers that you're kind of realizing? Uh, barriers for myself is I'm not detailed enough. Um, also it's kind of forgetfulness or being caught up in the moment of what's going on in the clinic and sometimes not realizing, Hey, you have two minutes to go ahead and explain this to somebody instead of just being blah and running away. (laughs) (laughs) How how did that go? Blah, Blah. running away. (laughs) Uh, when you say not being detailed enough, 
Uh, that can mean a lot of different things because um, it's sometimes it's just you don't give anything. But also uh, another way that that can be is the details aren't um, applicable to the person sometimes. like mm. Or sometimes you're just not saying the words the right way. So even if you are being detailed... They're not being heard. <laughs> um, is there is there anything specifically with, is it just a lack of volume or is it more um, the way that it's being portrayed and, and also then interpreted by people that we've identified previously as most everyone that works here is substantially different than you. Um, so there can be kind of a lapse in there. Kind of, is there any anything specific that you've noticed with that? I guess it would be dependent on the person and who I'm talking to. Um, some people find me really intimidating, so they're just focused on, like, the intense personality that I have, which it's like I try to dial it back a little bit, but yeah. it doesn't work. Yeah. So then they're just like, uh, what? what, what? <laughs> I know I had that with Raisha um, and Rianne, and they were in a surgery, and they called me in to ask my help. Um, I can't remember what it was about. And it was, I rattled off what I needed to say and it was really fast, really direct. And I just walked out of the room and she's like, Ray, she's like, oh, that was really intimidating. And Rhiannon was like, you'll get used to it. It's okay. But by that, here's what she meant. Okay. So Rhiannon did fill in the blanks because I was on the floor trying to run triage and keep things moving on the outpatients because we were slammed. Just like every other day of the week, it seems at this point. Yeah, story of our lives right now. Yeah, exactly. And and we'll maintain that way for, uh, I don't want to say the foreseeable future. Until December. Until February. (laughs) Yes, we'll get a month break and then it'll start all over again. Yeah. Um, All right. So, yeah, I mean, you're still early in on it. I I think it's interesting, though, that... Because you, know, you had you had texted me like, hey, what do I put on my review? And I was just like, I don't know. We just talked about it. Like, try this out. <laughs> so I, I do think it's interesting that that was also something that was shared um, by Trevor and Annie. It, it, because um, we just kind of shot it out there on a whim a little bit. But um, but yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to kind of watch or, and, and have you continuously in here as that thought process develops and as you start to get into practice, maybe, uh, you know, finding those opportunities even on the floor where it's like, I'm just going to choose to make this a part of this process. Cause I, that, that'll be probably your biggest barrier, uh, in implementing the actual conversation while there's like eight other fires. <laughs> it's like, I have to do this. Cause if I do this the first four times, then I, then it just gets in your vocabulary. Then when you're uh, distributing task that you, you just put the right words in mm-hmm. there after just, it's the same reason that we do after actions. Yes. It's the practice. And then it becomes a part of uh, the way in which we think and the way in which we speak. So um, that's your next challenge is like when it, when the fire's on at two in the morning and you got, (laughs) you got, you got Nicole here and she's like, why do you want me to do that? (sighs) Little goose fraba and you, and you can do it. Um, One thing to kind of go along with that. uh, I actually, I don't, I think I did a different podcast a little bit about this book or maybe about a piece of it. It's uh, one by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin is actually how you say his name um, called the dichotomy of leadership. And in the book, there's seven chapters that talks about um, how in leadership, there's really no quote unquote right way to do it. You're always balancing like these different, like um, two sided variables. Mm -hmm. So for this one, um, it actually applies to you where it's, um, to be resolute, and I think you're really good at that, but to not be overbearing. And the way that you balance to uh, being resolute is by um, sharing purpose and being able to communicate that in a way that's really, really um, effective for, for the individual that needs to be um, communicated with, and that can vary substantially. Um, but a uh, couple, couple quick highlights in here. I'm actually going to flip away from this page for a second. Um, you know, the, he was talking to an individual that uh, was an executive vice president in one of the companies that he was consulting with. And this is one of the quotes from him. Um, it was uh, in, in essentially in talking about implementing change within his team. And uh, his take on it right away was, uh, why is it up to me? It's their problem. They need to get on board. I've told them over and over again why we need to do this. Frankly, I'm sick and tired of trying to explain it to them. Uh, been there. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, had that thought. Um, and and the, the final thing is in is his, his perception of it is they don't want change. Um, however, the, um, the way that it was actually implemented once they were through that project was his whole job as a leader of that team became explaining to those that were responsible for implementing change why it mattered like and how it impacted them and that like that was literally his whole thing and once that happened they went from inefficient to very efficient um without him actually doing quote-unquote work Mm -hmm. without him actually being you know uh, uh, an actual producer he was now leading um and balancing those two because there are times where you just have to set a hard line you have to be able to say this is what we're going to do this is how we're going to do it move um, but also you can't just be that. And I don't think that you have a major gap. I don't think it's something that it's like, you're only just that <laughs> super essentially rude. Right. Um, <laughs> but there is a part of it. I think you're, you know, you are more intense. Um, I think it's easier when you're more intense for people to be quieter. Um, maybe they are out of fear, maybe out of comfort. I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, but those are, that's really what you're balancing. Uh, and, and this is, you've never read this book, so I will Mm-mm. pause for a moment and see if you have any questions or thoughts or whatever it is. But that, 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 that to me is kind of the thing that you're balancing. What are your thoughts there? I mean, I, it's, it's a good point. Like change, like he talks about change and people not wanting to become efficient and needing that explanation. It's a good point. People hate change. They don't understand. You don't explain why they're doing something. Um, it makes it really difficult. Kim and Raisha are a great example. Who both who have worked in um, general practices for the first, uh, I think they're in almost five years of their career. Mm-hmm. Now come over to more of an emergency side of medicine where we run things. <laughs> so a lot different. A lot different. <laughs> um, so them coming in and it's one. It's a huge change for them. And then our policies, our procedures, how we do things. It's a lot different. Um, both of them were like, we understand why we're doing this, but we don't understand why. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one of the reasons that made me realize to myself, like, I don't explain this stuff well enough. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, we need it. It became my homework to work on it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's, I, I like the fact that you have a variety of people to work on it with mm-hmm. um, because, you know, between working with Dr. Burris, who I think, you know, she, she can have the, I think she empathizes with who you are a little bit better than maybe some people do naturally. Like, she, I don't know. She just sees it a little bit easier mm-hmm. versus um, somebody like Sydney, who is really young, um, super introverted. <laughs> <laughs> Was it you that asked me about? I, I, I did. Yeah. So like somebody who is, is a cent- not your polar opposite, but very, very different from mm-hmm. you and being able to work, um, on a similar task, on a similar way of communicating with a variety of people, um, I, I think that that's going to, um, number one, it's going to accelerate the learning process pretty substantially, um, but also it'll it'll allow you to experiment um, and really find the best way, not necessarily just the most efficient way. Um, go ahead. You sound like you were going to say something. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I'm on no caffeine, Molly. I need you. I need you. You're on no caffeine. I'm on like... <laughs> 12 hours off of work and on sleep. Like, this, uh, it's going to be an adventure today. It's That's, just going to be an adventure. I mean, like, that it, it is true. It is like Rhiannon, who understands my D personality yeah. very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, she does get when I say things and they do come off blunt and indirect. But Rhiannon and I also have developed like this dialogue where it's like, we can say these huge long sentences that we want to talk about mm-hmm. in about this many words. Yeah. And we know where the other one's coming from. Whereas compared to Sid, um, who's very, very quiet and mm-hmm. she gets, so she does get those one liners in there every now and then, but where I actually have to explain things and use this many words. Yeah. It's, it's a challenge yeah. sometimes. It, it, it is. And that's, you know, that's the, the, that's the interesting part about communication and collaboration is yes, you need to know who you are extremely well, but if you don't cover your butt, essentially, <laughs> and are um, if you if you don't adapt to the person that you're talking to, sometimes it's just going to fall on completely deaf ears. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that colors that, and I actually brought up your old assessment um, here, is values, and you know that's you know, we were alluding to it before we started that 
um, you and I have a very similar value set. Low aesthetic. We like conflict. We're not afraid to fight. <laughs> high economic. Really <laughs> like to seek a high return on investment. Mm-hmm. Um, you're mid, mid individualistic. I'm actually low. Um, so you prefer to do things your way a little bit more than me. But it's you're not above the um, energy line. So we're at least similar in that boat. High political. If a decision is being made that impacts you, you feel like you have to be heard. I don't. If anyone works with Molly and is listening to this, none of this should be a surprise. <laughs> um, low altruism, so your trust level is a little bit lower, um, where you're you're more selective about who it is that you choose to help. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, you will help other people if it is in the interest of. Um, uh, improving one of your other values, so high ROI. Um, you know, if we get into regulatory, you know, you like you like process, you like um, precedent, you like to operate within it, and if it doesn't exist, you'll create it. I think we've all um, kind of seen that, especially with your role as shelter engagement coordinator and working with the different um, humane societies and uh, rescues that we work with. High theoretical, like to learn. Yep. We share. We're literally six out of seven, um, like identical. So what that does is um, you're a low eye though, and I'm a super high eye behavioral style. And so like you at the onset, when you don't understand that you have a similar value set, a high D and a high I have a natural clash point because you'll see me as the big fluff because I really like to talk with my hands. Um, whereas uh, when you have a high, uh, a shared value set, that's when I can go to you and say, no, just be high D because Mm -hmm. like I know why it is that you're doing it and there's no reason to be afraid of it versus, uh, you know, then for me, like, yeah, you can call me and be like, Hey Ben, I need you to say the right words to this person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So just knowing kind of the the dynamics there, because now what you're balancing with a lot of our staff is going to be that D versus S Mm-hmm. And those are those are dichotomous variables where you're going to be pretty direct and they're going to want to be relatively paced and slow and, you know, together, um, especially when you pair that with a low aesthetic and wanting to not being afraid of the fight <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> um, so that's that's going to be a challenge. Like I can't I, I I know you can do it, but I know it's not easy to do. Um, so I'm looking forward to watching you run through that experiment. There is another thing on here that I want to touch on, but I'm going to pause. And I'm going to see where your head's at. It, that is, you weren't wrong. It is, it is going to be a challenge trying mm-hmm. to be able to dial back and figure out, how, like even just trying to like wrap my head around it now, trying to use words yeah. to like say what I want to say. Like mm-hmm. it's very challenging because it's like, I'm just just do it and Mm -hmm. trying to explain to people it's going to be a challenge. Um, One of the other things that will be a barrier for you in this is um, uh, if you were, if you recall uh, there's the external and internal parts. Um, So external variables, there's three, it's empathy, practical thinking and systems judgment. That's the way in which we interpret data and the speed in which we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a high practical thinker, so you're very black and white, uh, tends to think that there is a right way and a wrong way. That's going to be another amplifier to that high D, low aesthetic type yep. um, behavioral pattern, that sort of stuff. Um, but also, uh, you are lower on systems judgment, so you are really, really heavy practical. So it's going to be a challenge to get your brain out of the yes and no and into that, that why. Like yep. you, there's a legitimate, like you have to actively do that. Yes. <laughs> so if anybody's listening to this and be like, I have no idea what Ben's talking about. What you got to think of is when you're struggling with understanding that gap between process and purpose, sometimes it's, you're just trying to implement the process to with a T and mm-hmm. you like, you might think, you know, everything and you might have everything down. Perfect. However, the way in which you abstract that is through the uh, is through systems judgment, and you have to be able to take in more variables and explain the flow um, through kind of chaos um, and how that relates to something that is very simple and as in serve the patient. You know, I should say simple on paper. It's not actually simple at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that will be something too. Like when you're in the middle of it. Um, getting from practical and into systems, you have to, your brain's going to have to make an active jump over there, and you got to flex that muscle. Yep. That is something that you can. It's it's not a, an innate trait. You can work on these things. I actually did myself. I, I was similar to you a few years ago, 
and just just lived in the world of systems while I could. And now I think I'm relatively equal. I'm slow on all three. I'm not actually a very fast thinker, which is why I really like caffeine when I have the chance. Um, but yeah, this is just, again, just trying to help you out in understanding um, the way in which you can do this better because I guarantee you're not the only person that has that struggle. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. And also maybe if anybody that's working here uh, watches Molly just slow down to a snail's pace <laughs> and she's, you can just feel the, the smoke coming out of the ears you a little can, bit. You can see the smoke coming out of my ears, the wheels turning, my eyes are like, Oh, how do I want to explain this? Like, and then, the and then I watch Trevor, who's the complete polar opposite of me, who can, you can basically be like, why am I double doing a double check on these patient meds? And he can go into a 15 minute spiel on why we do things the way we do. And then I'm sitting there listening to him being like, uh, you, you could have stopped that like 10 minutes ago and made that answer so much simpler. It's the, it's similar too. when you know, uh, was it Rachel that made the joke that Carlo always gives you, he'll give you the answer, all the answers you didn't know yet uh, to the questions you didn't know you had, but he won't answer the question that you asked. Fair, yeah. It's a similar yeah. response, but that's when it's the other side. That's, that's yeah. the polar opposite of like, I'm talking super systems and I'm not actually worried about, the the heavy practical Mm -hmm. on this front actually in the um podcast that we did uh yesterday which will be much previous uh from the day i released this but um it was with brie and caroline and carlo we talked about kind of or carlo talked a little bit about like what that ideal person is in uh, at least for our team and what we found is we're better with people that can understand process from a from a higher level Mm -hmm. so like give me the one two three these are my big steps. I'll fill in the gaps. And there were, I, there's probably still some things that are super detailed. I mean, you probably are one that um, has to police the more detailed stuff more than most anybody. Um, but with that, um, you know, we, we do kind of emphasize systems. And I think it's cool that you've been able to find a place here that you can still thrive in and still have a gap there. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, am I off my rocker there? Or kind of what are your, where's your head at? And like, we live in the world of systems, but you're a practical thinking person. How do you, how do you balance that yourself? <sighs> I honestly have no idea how I found the balance while working yeah. here. It just kind of, it was just kind of came to me one day where it was, I don't even know. It just, now it just works out for me where it's like, I practical think almost everything in my life, but like here I understand why we do things the way we do. I just never can voice them out. So I guess my next question then is let's say, let's take an example mm-hmm. of running triage because triage is like the system. Yes. Like I am trying to understand a thousand variables mm-hmm. all at once and the isolated down to six. <laughs> um, how do you t- walk me through how your brain go? You got 15, you walk in at six o'clock. Okay. You got 15 that are on the bar. You got six that are hospitalized. Mm-hmm. What do you, to walk me through your process? How does that work for you? Where do you start? Like what's the first thing that you grab or look at? When I come in, first thing that I do is set my stuff down, get my stuff get whatever I need ready for to walk onto the floor. Stethoscope, pens, Sharpies, highlighters, um, all of that stuff, and put actually put on my clinic shoes instead of my slippers. <laughs> that, is, that is very important to have. Uh-huh. Um, and then once when I come in, um, depending on what time doctors come in, some I have been coming in at 6 without doctors mm-hmm. because they've been coming in at 8, depending on the day. Um, I normally start my shift by rounding on hospitalized patients. Okay. Um, and then depending on where we're at with hospitalized patients, whether they have treatments done, they still need treatments. Um, doctor does come in at six. We do rounds. So it's, we round on hospitalized patients first, figure out what they need. And then once when we're done rounding on them, I go to the triage bar and then I get rounded in mm-hmm. on what every single patient is here for and where we're at in that process. Whether that one needs its first consult with a doctor, needs an exam, needs x-rays, blood work, pain med injections, any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So after we're done with rounds, then it's, I just kind of take off and go. So I, I guess like what I was trying to allude to is it actually, here's, here's the interesting part. <laughs> I want you to think about the way in which your brain processed that thought. Uh-huh. What was the first thing that you talked about? It was like literally like the steps by which you set yourself up to mm-hmm. go do the rounding process. Yep. Um, so 
some like me, I wouldn't tell you that I put a different <laughs> pair of shoes on when I start my shift, but you did, you yeah. do. And, and mm-hmm. I'm, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's the way a, a more practical way of thinking. You know, I, this is what I do first. This is what I do second. This is what I do third. And then I get stressed and I grab a cigarette. And then this is what I do fourth. <laughs> the funny thing is it's the same thing. I do everything the same way. Yeah. Every single time I come into my, in, into my shift, it's, put down my stuff, grab my other stuff, get a soda. It's the same exact process every single day. It never deviates. And it's the same way when I'm on my way to work too. So, okay. uh, and you don't do it because you're superstitious, correct? I don't do it because I'm superstitious, but it like, for example, like go to put gas in my car. I go to the Shell gas station, downtown Minocqua, use pump four, same pump every single time. And if it doesn't happen out that way, it actually makes me extremely angry. So maybe some borderline OCD in there? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, little I bit. think we might be past the borderline, but... But, but, but yeah, that's, uh, that was, it was an interesting thing to kind of mm-hmm. watch you think your way through that because you went from super practical <laughs> in like, this is how I set myself up. And then you went into, well, then we round on hospitalized patients and then we round on those that are on the bar. Mm-hmm. And what you're, what you did is you went from this, the sequence of events that's very one, two, three Rounding on hospitalized patients is not one of those things. Like, you could probably detail it out a ton if you had to. Oh, definitely. But you don't. Mm-hmm. If you could probably, and, I, and I, you know, I, for outpatients, the process is more detailed out mm-hmm. because we've got our triage system, we've got our different um, hexagons and the way in which that um, process goes. So that's probably a little bit more like you're just kind of working down the list. Mm-hmm. Um but you went from practical into systems in a snap and you didn't even notice <laughs> I it. Didn't. But it's through no. practice. Yep. It, 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 and it was, it was actually really fascinating to see because I have no idea how y'all actually round on hospitalized patients. Like you used to do that with me, but it was like, this is why Fluffy is here. And we would just talk about it. Yeah. And then it was, yeah. all right, well, now we're going to move on to the next one. Yeah. But I also didn't need to know, you know, what the patient status was and yep. where they were at with treatments and all that sort of stuff. So my level of no uh, need to know was much lower. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the, the, my, am I going crazy? Do you, you get where I'm coming from? I get where you're I, – I definitely get where you're coming from. I didn't realize yeah. I even went from practical into systems. It, it's 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 an instance, but yep. it's but it's because you're well practiced mm-hmm. in it. So when you think about doing something like um, it, it, within communication, the what I'm trying to say is, I don't I wouldn't be afraid of it at all because you're a skilled person and know mm-hmm. you know what you're doing. Um, you just need to practice it, and once mm-hmm. you get to the point of practice, then it just becomes second nature. Um, that can be a arduous process. It can be a pain in the ass sometimes. Um, but the cool part about that is at least the stuff that I've seen around here and in, um, some of the ideas that we've implemented, implemented well with other people is, um, yeah, it's, it's a nuisance and over time it just becomes the way in which we think, um, and the way in which we do things, but ultimately it turns into something that's productive. I, I can't think of a time that we've really like missed the boat big time on any sort of like like you I think you should do this type thing mm-hmm. or it's you know working in a growth plan with somebody or something like that um so yeah uh don't be afraid of it I think you I think you'll be able to do it well because you already do it you just don't even notice it it's just it's gonna have to be ex- learning how to take a breather in mm-hmm. and tr- explain things out yeah for in, sure in more in more words more or less yeah I, yeah and that yeah you're right I think the biggest gap will or uh biggest barrier is going to be just like that okay just recenter for a second. Yep. The thing that the thing that'll amplify it is the first time that you do it and it is received in a way that makes things run more efficiently. All you got to do is see the value in it. Mm-hmm. Like I can tell you that there's value in it all day long, uh, but until you actually do it and see the see the the acceleration that comes out of somebody that needed that purpose. Because that's what you're aiming for, yep. right? Is they now know why they're doing it. And now with that, they're more motivated, more invigorated, whatever. 
and their their pace quickens. They do things more efficiently, um, and we because we're all here for the same reason. Now we're just trying to maximize that process part. Um, I think once you cross that bridge, it will be a lot easier for you. You just have to see it for yourself, and 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 that will make you. It hopefully will make you believe it a little bit as I drop my notepad. <laughs> that'll that'll be the next six months of my life to see if I can achieve explaining yeah. the process into the purpose better to everyone else that's coming here because it's on my growth plan now. You got to do it. <laughs> I got to do it. I got to figure out a way how to do it. Thank God it's only been about two weeks. Uh, I think that's a that'll be a good transition. Maybe this is a good transition. Um, as when we were on here last, uh, you had mentioned that you have gone through the board review process mm. a couple times. Yes. Um, that is, I would argue that that is a process that, um, because it's number one, we don't do, uh, we have our case review process, but, um, you know, officially we don't run a, um, board review. We're not the board, whatever. Um, there can be a big lapse in understanding between, um, why that actually exists (laughs) because it just feels like uh, bureaucratic nonsense sometimes. Um, but it does have purpose, uh, Mm -hmm. for, for, for what it's worth. Um, but I don't actually know the story or stories because it's happened twice. I believe that the first time was like the first like two weeks after you got your license. Yes, it um, it actually was. And I remember when I got the letter in the mail, I instantly like opened it and it was, it was like instant panic because I mm -hmm. had no idea this thing was even out there. So I tried to call Annie. Annie was busy. She didn't answer. So I'm like, well, now what do I do? I called Curlo, which was supposed to be like this very, very simple, like, conversation that I just want him to explain. I think it turned out to be like a two hour long conversation (laughs) on the phone of us walking through the case. And then like the last like two minutes of the conversation was, well, were you medically negligent Mm -hmm. or did you make a mistake that cost a patient's life? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, no, he's like, well, then you're fine. Yeah. It's like, can we just have had this part of the conversation an hour and a half ago? Tell me about that conversation because you like that's that juxtaposition between like where people are coming from. <laughs> like, um, number one, like as much as you want to share like a little bit of case detail, we don't need names or anything super specific. But um, walk me through kind of that whole process and like what the maybe wisdom it was that Carlo shared or hot air. I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, and ultimately you got to a point where, you know, it worked out. But give me give me a little bit more context. So I don't exactly remember the full-blown conversation of it. Uh, That was was a few years ago. It was about five years, four years ago, I think, my first one, my Mm -hmm. first letter I got from. Um, Basically, it was patient was hospitalized. Um, I don't exactly remember the reasons why. I think the dog had free fluid in its abdomen, and it was between trying to get it into surgery or euthanasia Mm -hmm. (laughs) because... patient's best interest at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that one of the reasons they put in the complaint is um, they actually brought Maya or Mariah into it, who wasn't a CVT at the time. She was still an MSS waiting to be able to take her test. Um, she, she went up front and was very cheerful and pleasant. Well, if you know Mariah, that's who she is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we put them in a room because they were really upset, all of that. They wanted to talk to Carlo, who was also in another consult with a critical patient at the time. He couldn't stop the consult with um, basically he did the consult. They elected to euthanize. We then brought the dog in on a gurney cause it couldn't walk. Another point of their complaint was we had the dog strapped down to the gurney with straps, which safety, yeah. safety, standard pro- safety, protocol. standard safety protocol. So dog doesn't jump off gurney. Um, so they put that in there and then I, I just got brought into it cause I was the one who wheeled the dog into the room and hmm. pushed the plunger on that patient, mm-hmm. uh, to do the euthanasia, which, mm-hmm. um, on the phone with Carlo, we walked through the whole case, everything like that. And then I just remember that last bit of it, which I use to this day um, when I got taken to the board along with four other people that worked here. Um, were we medically negligent? And the answer was no. Right. <laughs> and that's just how it comes down now. That's, yeah. So basically, like, I, I didn't actually know that it was that simple. 
Like, it like, seems very, I, and you know, whatever, everyone has their reasons to mm-hmm. do whatever it is that they're going to do. But that's, that's, um, you know, that's, that's why we push informed consent so hard. That's, um, you know, why we have our estimates process. So that's why we have a ton of process really Yep, is to make sure that we are covering the basis on behalf of the patient and really for the caregiver too, right? We want clarity. We want to make sure that they know what's happening, all that sort of stuff. And, as, as, and that process is different now than it was four years ago. We've increased clarity. We've increased our ability to communicate what's happening and what, what it is and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Um, but the fundamentals were all still there. And it's, and it's interesting there that it doesn't actually matter um, how much you try. Sometimes you're just, sometimes you're just not going to land. It's an inevitability mm-hmm. that some people just aren't going to hear you, and and as you know, you can be as clear as possible. Um, but yeah, I guess to go even a little bit further, um, what, how did that how did that kind of work out? Was there like uh, I, I don't even know how the board review process works. Did you have to go in front of the board? So no, it was actually once when I got the letter, talked everything out with Carlo, and they also I believe they he also got the same letter on the first complaint that I did. Okay. Thank God he's awesome and just handles it all himself. Yeah. Because yeah. I would not have been able to do that. I do remember when he sends out, before he sends the documentation to the board, he, um, he sent me the email like, here, go ahead and read this. And the whole thing turned out to be 47 pages start to finish or about that. Because oh. it was all of our paperwork that we had in the clinic. So all of our color pages, hospitalized estimates, everything like that. And then it was Carlo's written letter of everything that happened that's time-stamped throughout the whole thing. And then it was all of the CE credits that you have to take because you have to send in your certificates Mm -hmm. showing that you're doing all of your continuing education credits. And it's like, here, read through this. Let me know if I need to change anything. And it's like, this is 47 pages long. I'm reading for a while. So it's Carlo pretty much handled everything for both of my board complaints, which was helpful. You don't have to go in front of them. He emails the stuff to whoever it goes to, and then you just kind of sit and wait and kind of hope it doesn't go <laughs> past, like, the people who review the cases before it actually goes into the board. Okay, so you never actually, like, directly communicated with anybody that no. was a part of that. Okay. No. Interesting. Um, yeah, I guess, was the second one any different? The second one, I didn't even know that they sent in a board complaint because the first one went to my own address on yeah. file. The second one came to the clinic, and mm-hmm. I didn't know about it until we actually got the email um, saying that we were taken to the board again. And it was Carlo sent out the email, and I, it was like, step one, breathe. Step two, breathe. Step three, read document, then breathe. Four, then call Carlo. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Some good wisdom in there. Yep. So I remember the second one and it was like, saw, saw the patient's name that was on and I'm like, okay then. Yeah. It was just, just kind of saw it coming or maybe it was, it was like, you got it. Like you could see like, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I knew nothing was going to come out of it. Right. Right. Not that we did anything wrong. It's just like, oh, well. You tried everything else. You didn't get anywhere any other way. This is your last thing to try to get somewhere with it and it's like well it's not going anywhere so in both of those i guess then my next question is because what we talked about um i think it was the first time that you were in here Mm -hmm. but it was that process of learning by accountability and you know we've paw as a company as a team we've pushed accountability as about as hard as we can um and now we're putting, you know, now that we've got a really good base there, now it's collaboration and now we're balancing those two things. That's actually another dichotomy of leadership in case anyone's curious. Um, but with that, you know, when you were in the middle of that, especially early career, um, did you find that you adjusted anything uh, of, of like how you did your job once you got through that? I'm, I'm going to bet the answer is no. The answer is no. <laughs> Nothing changed. Yeah. Nothing changed. I still serve the patient to this day. I yeah. act in the best interest of the patient. I tell that to caregivers all the time. Like, I'm here to serve your patient. Yeah. Not- what, you, what What do you want me to do for you today? That's what I tell them. Yeah. That was uh, when Bree was in here yesterday. She mm-hmm. had kind of brought that up. She was, she had operated as an unlicensed assistant um, uh, in last couple of years, whatever. And, um, you know, going through estimates and all that sort of stuff, it was, you know, she would ask like, what are your goals? So it's a little mm-hmm. bit softer, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
but also it's 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 a good idea, right? Like, what are we here to do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the cool things about um, y- you've you probably don't know it as well as I do, but the creating accountability diagram, that whole process, Carlo's like super brainchild and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's changing this much. It's not actually changing. It's just, there. there's two variables that are getting added. New ERT coming out then soon, I think. I, that, I believe that that's I, that happening. Something actually. like that changes, then the whole new ERT gets <laughs> rolled out so, shortly after. It's a, it's a process. It's, yes. it's just, uh, you know, you change one big pillar. It's it, the, the rest of the house has to change. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually really simple. So we go from fall tolerance um, and currently goes from fall tolerance to collaboration. Uh, the only two things that are being added are trust and respect. We have to check ourselves on both of those mm-hmm. things. And because if we don't have either of those, collaboration never works. We never get to the point of actually implementing a solution, going through the accountability process. Um, and in this instance, uh, what I like to highlight is, you know, we, we, we talked about it a little bit really early on in the podcast, but the idea that caregivers or clients, whatever you want to call them, are really a part of the care team. Mm-hmm. And that means that they also have to abide by those rules. And they might not even know what those rules are. But, um, you know, Carlo in consultation, um, or, you know, when, when we kind of have to set people, uh, you know, set the, set the bounds by which we are going to operate. What we're really doing with caregivers is establishing that um, there is a mutual trust and there is a mutual respect. Um, and if we, if, we ha- if we can't get through those two things, and, th- and that means uh, trust in our process too, right? Like that's mm-hmm. one of our bigger things, mm-hmm. so it's pretty unique. Um, respecting the other people that are here with more critical patients and us being able to distribute that information the right way so that they can understand it effectively, whatever it is. Yeah. We have to get through, through those two things. And then once those two things are established with caregivers, everything else is easy. And typically what I've seen with some of these, uh, some of the complaints that we have come through is that's what's missing. It never actually was the collaborative process or the fact that we were unaccountable in the way in or ne- medically negligent in the way in which we did things. Mm-hmm. Um, it all comes down to they didn't trust us from the get go or something. They maybe we misstepped in communication or pr- maybe they didn't like our process, whatever. Trust fell apart or somebody was rude mm-hmm. and respect fell apart. Or maybe they were rude to us and we amplified it back to them. You know, that's that idea of, you know, when um, you know, we have to walk in and be the first mover on all this stuff. And there's other podcasts about that. But um, that's the two things that are getting added because if those fall apart, it, that, that to me is what those complaints were sourced out of. I, I wasn't there. I wasn't a part of it. But if mm-hmm. you're talking about little stuff, talking about like safely transporting a patient so that they can be with their caregiver. Mm-hmm. Um, they might not understand it, but clearly they didn't trust us at all. No. And I have, I, it's actually kind of funny. You bring that up. I have had a couple caregivers where they come in and they, for some reason they start out swinging. Yep. They just start out swinging when they mm-hmm. come in. Um, and it's gotten to the point with a couple of them where it's like, we'll put them in a room and it's like, I, you, I end up going into the room and telling the caregiver, if you can't trust us, mm-hmm. you need to take your patient and you need to leave. Because mm-hmm. automatically, if they don't trust us, they're not going to listen what we're, to what we're going to say. That cat or dog or whatever, whatever animal it is here is not going to get the care that it needs to have that day. So it's like we can have the exam and the consult with the doctor, but if you're not going to trust us and trust in what we're doing, mm-hmm. then you need you need to go somewhere else. You need to go to a different right. vet clinic mm-hmm. right off the bat. And that's the first thing I tell them when they come in swinging and they're like, well, I don't trust your process. Like this is what's wrong with my patient. It's dying. And it's like, but it's not, it's mm-hmm. stable. It has been evaluated. We have looked at it. We have gotten vitals. Like mm-hmm. it's stable. And it's like, if you can't trust in us or our process, yeah, you can't, you can't be here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I working up front, that was, through trial and error over mm-hmm. the course of a couple of years, you know, you learn how to say the right things the right way to build trust right away. Um, but then it, even still, it was inevitable that there was going to be somebody that just wasn't going to have it. Um, I guess in that, you know, you and I actually probably had a pretty good um, balance between the way in which you would communicate. Cause I can be pretty soft and you can be pretty hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but in your conversations and starting it out with like, Hey, we have to, I, you need to trust us. 
um, generally speaking, um, or maybe there's a specific that you can think of, um, how do those go? Like, do they typically leave? Do they typically stay? Is there kind of a balance there? Um, do any of them get too hot? <laughs> like, like kind of how, cause that's a scary thing for a lot of people mm-hmm. to think of. Like, like me telling somebody else, you need to trust me in those four you need to trust. That's five words. <laughs> no um, caffeine brain has right, these fingers. <laughs> right. uh, being able to say those five words in that sequence and stopping that sentence is a really, really hard line. Mm-hmm. We're going to draw that line right now, and most people are uncomfortable with that. But what's the value that you've been able to see in that? So I've had a go. Um, I haven't. I think I've had one caregiver leave. Yep. which the patient was stable. It wasn't, didn't have any life-threatening medical conditions. So that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually had one Monday night when I was working. It was a uh, surgical admit. Mm-hmm. And normally when I, we get the difficult caregivers and I'm the one here, it's just, I'm going to go handle it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I go in the room uh, and the caregiver support staff who's up front, they're like, I'm having a really hard time with him. This is what the issue is and all of this. I'm like, just, it was too many words. So I was like, just put him in a room. I'll go deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I went in the room and I just started out by, I heard you have some questions and we're not on the same page. What do you want me to answer? Mm-hmm. And it basically started out with him having, he trusted what we were saying, but because he was educated in so many other ways, wrong by other veterinarians, mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. didn't trust in us. Mm-hmm. So it was um, explaining to him that, we knew what was best for the patient. We had our game plan already decided. It was in his previous medical record. It was explained to him. So basically it was go into the room, explain everything. Think he had a picture. He even took a picture of his dog's masses that he wanted removed with circles. Um, I think I was in there for about 15 minutes and we got on the same page and we were able to develop that level of trust mm-hmm. that we needed to move forward with the patient. But then again, everyone in the back was like, well, if he's not going to trust us, he can go home. And it's like, well, call, like, yeah. let's go figure out where the issue is. And he didn't understand why we were recommending this specific surgery where everyone else was telling him to do this one instead. Mm-hmm. So once when I explained like why we weren't doing what the other vets wanted to be done, it made more sense. And he developed that level of trust. Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, that's a, it's good to be able to go through that exercise mm-hmm. because I think, Especially, you know, the, this job will wear on you uh, at all levels um, for everyone that's here, and, and even outside of our outside of the emergency setting, outside of the urgent care setting, um, communicating with people um, about an animal that cannot communicate for itself um, it can be infuriating at times. I get it, um, but you can't let that be the excuse to tell the person that doesn't trust us right away to just leave. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really what you're highlighting there is like, yes, absolutely. We can identify that there is a gap, but also why are we here? If we don't go through the process of attempting as best as we can to earn this person's trust, we are not doing right by this patient. So let's just put our best foot forward. Now, if we put ourselves out there, if we make ourselves vulnerable to whatever critique or whatever he wants, mm-hmm. um, we're still not going to break our principle. We're not going to shake on our process because we know that our process works, but we're going to do our damnedest to tell him what it is, and he can criticize the shit out of it. I don't really care. Um, if they're not going to play ball once we put our best foot forward, then we can say, patient stable, you just need to go find care elsewhere. There's yep. other service providers. I wish you the best of luck because you being here is not going to be helpful to your patient at this point. Yeah, I did. I had one caregiver, dog needed surgery. Caregiver was extremely difficult for, right off the bat. Yeah. Um, then it just kept escalating where it got worse and worse, where she was, she even admitted she was respectful to the doctor, mm. but she wasn't respectful to anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we even went in with surgery, I was informed of what was going on. It was one of the nights I got called into the clinic to come help with surgeries. Mm -hmm. Um, I went in the room and I just laid down, like just right (laughs) off the bat, like this is going to stop. And my final question to her before I walked out of the room was, are we now going to be respectful of medical staff and doctors and everyone in this clinic? Mm -hmm. That was the final question I had. And she said, yes, but it was like, get where you're coming from. I understand you're worried. Mm-hmm. I understand you're, you want your patient to have the surgery it needs to, but like her thought was, 
we only care about the money. And it's like, and I told her in the room, no, we don't. Because if we did, it's like, I wouldn't be in here having this conversation with you. I was like, mm-hmm. and also I wouldn't be giving you the option to take your dog and go somewhere else. Right. Like, regardless, I would have just put your dog on the table. Um, like, I understood she was angry. But after that, even after I had that conversation, they still ended up getting fired from here, which mm. is the, mm-hmm. which is a possibility that can right. happen. Right. Um, but, yeah, that person also started out coming in just swinging as well. Yeah. And, and like, that's, that's to me, that's the, that's the, the trigger is, um, the, it, it, or I should say the way that you start the conversation, Carlo, I think talked about it long, long ago on a podcast mm-hmm. was, um, you have to assume that the person isn't mad at you. Or they're worried about their patient. And when their wor- worry will create, cause you're, cause when you're worried, you're acting almost exclusively out of emotion, which can be irrational. Um, it won't make sense. It will be hard to communicate with when within that frame of mind, and when you have that happening, you have to have somebody that's on the other side of the table that says, I'm here to collaborate with you. All we got to do is get through trust and respect. Yep. If we can do that, I want to absolve all of that worry for you, you know, in some way, right? Like whatever the case might be, like we are here to solve the problem of your worry by f- helping serve your patient. Mm-hmm. Um not necessarily the emotional side. That's a different side, right? I don't. Which, I don't try to dabble in people's emotions or understand why they're being emotional. No, no. like just no. But like, we can acknowledge that the the mm-hmm. the status of the patient is creating mm-hmm. the worry. Yep. What they do with that worry after the patient has been served is not our problem. Yep. And I do understand where that worry is coming from. Like, yes, I work here. At one point, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Both my tiny ninja asshole cats. It's a love hate <laughs> relationship. They have both ended up uh, like with me on the complete opposite. They were in the back and I was going to I was on the front. I had yeah. no idea what was going on in the back. No idea what was going on with them. There is that worry that you come into a place, unknown people have your animals. You don't know what's going on until you have that consult with the doctor. But mm-hmm. that's why our caregiver support staff is so amazing. They, they are fantastic at getting, helping mm-hmm. limit those worries and getting patient updates out there to everyone and, making sure everyone knows the process the best that they can before they even come into the building. Yeah. I was, so. I was, I was talking to Caroline about that yesterday after the, after we did the podcast and how that reception position dictates so much about how everything goes in our mm-hmm. entire process, because if it's done well, everyone's on the same page, yep. everyone's more patient, not going to say that they are exclusively patient. Um, but there's, there's a more understanding of the process. Um, there overall, like the, the stress level doesn't push into the treatment area. Mm-hmm. And then once doctors actually get to the point of cons- consultations, especially on a deep bar or whatever, like those consultations go well, they're efficient, they're not defensive, that sort of stuff. And it's all dictated by one person and you have to value that role so much because man, when it falls apart, everybody knows. I, I don't I don't have them on my shift for <laughs> what is it right now? Five six five, hours. Seven from hours. one AM until six hours. Seven AM. I'm without a caregiver support staff. Yeah. And there are days I want them to stay in the clinic and not leave because they are amazing. They yeah. un, they explain everything to caregivers. I know the job up front. Mm-hmm. I do not know it as well as they do. I do not even try to pretend to know what I'm doing up there. But it's hard without them. Yeah. Like, I, I don't mind answering phones, but I try to explain the process the best I can. And I find myself on the phone sometimes going, um, 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 um. <laughs> like, shit, what was this again? <laughs> Did we change this now? Yep. So, and that, that's the other thing too, is you gotta be, you gotta be adaptive, especially with COVID and all yeah. this stuff that, you know, just making sure that we can keep people safe, all that. Yeah. That's actually, um, why for me, um, once I moved all marketing, it's like, I'm uncomfortable with the idea of getting, just jumping on the floor for like a shift. Cause I'm going <laughs> to suck so bad. I'm going to make things worse. Like I'm just going to light everything on fire on accident. I'm not going to know that I am. We're all just stand outside the building and just be like, Bye, Bob. Ben burnt you down ben, in one day. Ben did it. It took him six <laughs> hours. Oh, no. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess, you know, we kind of went off a little bit of a tangent there. But, um, you know, sometimes it's fun. I hope there was some insight in there. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess, you know, how long has it been here? I it's, have no it's idea. It's been, uh, oh, we're almost at an hour. Look at that. Oh. Just like that. Just like that. 
what what other stuff's on your mind? What do you got for me, Molly? Give me <laughs> give me something. I mean, I'm, I'm horrible at trying to figure out what's on my mind because it's either it's completely blank. <laughs> or, or it's so full we can't decipher it so much shit going on in it i don't even know where to start i mean we've talked about the triage we've kind of talked about being held accountable i know in the past you guys have talked about um our after actions which i know i've been through one of them yep i've been lucky and only had, had to do yep. one i do try to avoid those you avoid if, the situation i avoid the situations yeah. like i try to avoid it which is why i'm so strong yeah. in that process and the policies and the procedures we have set in place mm-hmm. i know i will end up in another one one day mm-hmm. it's there's nothing i can do about it but i do try to avoid them mm-hmm. um the only thing we've never have talked about are heather cases that's true we've touched on those yeah i think that that's going to be like because what we're <laughs> gonna what we're gonna have to do with that is i, I know that her and trevor have this running bet about who gets to sit in here first and whoever sits in here first loses what do they lose i don't know between those two two, i have no idea (laughs) but like that is the when what is it that we are referring just give the give the audience a simple explanation of what a heather case is Burmese Mountain Dog, that's the easiest one to explain. And I know it's the only one, like, I think you remember that one. Oh, I absolutely remember Um, that one. Heather Case is something that is basically something crazy that comes in where anything can go wrong goes wrong, Mm -hmm. basically. Um, It was, I think, not even a two-year-old Burmese Mountain Dog that got spayed 10 days prior. Mm -hmm. Ben took the phone call, kind of gave him the rundown of the process when we were in the old building. Comes back, back, and it was, hey, I got a two-year-old Burmese mountain dog coming in bleeding from its who has, I think is what you yep. said yep. <laughs> after being Medical spayed. Terms. <laughs> Medical terms are on point. Um, you're like, after it got spayed and we're all just like, Oh, okay. Like right. what, like, whatever. Yeah. Um, Some minor discharge maybe. Yeah. That's, that's what we were expecting. Yeah. I remember he walks the dog from the front <laughs> into the back and I'm sitting at the lab computer at the time. And I, the dog just stops just moving and just blood pours draining. out of the dog. And I'm like, my eyes got huge. I'm like, well, this is not good. Yeah. Um, and so the dog walked in and then Heather, Heather did the consult with them. We start doing what we need to do in the plan at that time because we ultrasounded. We couldn't find anything abnormal. Heather didn't want to do this, like, didn't know if she could, didn't want to do the surgery. She was going to transfer it to Fox Valley. Yeah, I think the thought at the time was that it was an it was an mm-hmm. internal medicine issue of some variety, and it's yep. just like something something went bad fast, and like because surgic or uh, uh, physiologically, <laughs> this makes no sense. So, and it, it didn't make any sense. And then I just remember Veronica was at, when she was still here, yep. who's now in vet school. Yep. Um, because of the amount of blood that was coming out of the dog at the time, it wasn't even like us trying to clean it up. It was grabbing chuck pads and towels just and it. <laughs> throwing them on the floor so we weren't yeah. stepping in it. Yep. Um, and then Heather went up to go talk with them one more time. And I remember standing there, I looked at Veronica, I'm like, is that dog's tongue white now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it came in pink. And yeah. I think 20 minutes later, the dog's gums are white as a ghost and yep. can hardly stand. And then it... Um, Heather conveniently had to call Carlo, which is the fastest I think he's made it from home <laughs> to a clinic, uh, to the clinic. It was the ever. standing record. I know that that record has since been broken in the last few weeks. There's been, <laughs> there's been a few hammers, but yeah, no, it was, it was, the, the 27 minute drive took about 18 that day. Yeah, yep, it was, it was, it was pretty quick. Cause I remember him saying like, have that dog ready to be on the table yeah. by, I guess, by the time he got there. So it was, yeah, it was fast. we threw an estimate together, had him sign, yep. got the down payment and it was a very quick goodbye and they, yeah. to the dog. And then yep. they it was on the table and it was the weirdest thing where the uterus somehow inverted and the sutures slipped and thank God it did. Otherwise the dog would have bled out right. and they would have never known right. about it. That is your typical Heather case. Like, like this, this minor, like surgical error, maybe. I don't even know what the right word is. I don't even know if it was an error. (laughs) Something occurred two weeks prior that created something that is physiologically impossible. (laughs) (laughs) That should never happen and only happens and comes in when Heather is in this clinic. (laughs) It's, it's always just the weirdest stuff is here. Uh, She was the diaphragmatic hernia. Oh, I, I was so yeah. excited about that case. Yeah. I remember we, like, I called it on physical exam when I was mm-hmm. listening um, to the dog because someone called me over there like, oh, we don't like the way this dog's 
this puppy's breathing. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I was like, I don't hear lung sounds on this side of the chest. Like mm-hmm. I called it when it presented to the clinic, yeah. took x-rays. I was so excited. I think I called <laughs> Carla and he just We don't like, need you. I'm just excited. <laughs> like, I think I called him like three or four times in a row and he literally just walked out of the clinic like 10 minutes prior to <laughs> taking the x-rays. And it was like, I don't need you right now, but I'm like, I'm super excited about this yep. until he finally answered and he found out about it. And he told us he was driving around by Fleet Farm and the two roundabouts. Oh, yeah. Like for 15 minutes, just driving in a figure. Dork. I know. <laughs> Waiting uh, for the phone call yeah. to be like, do I have to come down and do yeah, this surgery? But, Which he did. Yeah. But yeah. So um, I, I think the challenge will maybe your other piece of homework and a less urgent piece of homework is to convince Heather to sit in one of these chairs so that she can tell <laughs> some tales of Heather cases because. I can only imagine, because we've only worked with her for, you know, a third of her career, maybe. Oh, I think she's at, like, what, 25 years? It's been a long time. I don't really, I actually have no idea how long it's been, Mm -hmm. to be perfectly honest. But, um, yeah, she's notorious for just being here when the ultra weird make their way. Yes, her stories are going to go, like, what the fuck, this isn't (laughs) fuck this, what the fuck, and it's going to be, like, (laughs) swear word after swear. I'm going to have to get my beat button ready. (laughs) Yes. It will be swear word after swear word Uh, through all of them, because that's about how her words go when she's working up these cases. It's what the, why is, what, who, what, no. (laughs) And to talk about a way to circle this all back to sort of where we started, (laughs) that is the brain's way of processing. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like, cause I do that. Uh, I, I, number one, I touch my nose and I think if you've ever noticed that, uh, I, you know, we've got our little ticks. We've got Mm -hmm. these things that we say, my, I will just start sentences and I will have to stop them and restart them for her. It's just like, I'm going to say words until the right word comes out <laughs> because I just have to get my mouth moving so that mm-hmm. my brain gets, that's, uh, gets kick fired and, or kickstarted, excuse me. And, um, what I learned through that is some people can be really, really okay with like, I'm going to turn this chaos of items into something, but I'm going to do it verbally. Mm -hmm. And they can understand the fact that I'm not actually telling you what to do as I'm looking at you and I'm talking because I'm looking right through you. (laughs) I'm thinking. Some people are really comfortable with that. Um, You're probably going to do that where you're going to start to say words as you start (laughs) to go from process to purpose. And you're going to look at somebody, you're going to look right through them and I'll be like, I'm saying words, but I'm not telling you what to do. Um, it's the way, you know, but it's a Mm -hmm. processing mechanism. Some people are really, really uncomfortable with it. I'm actually, um, previously before I kind of understood that concept, I would take like half direction through the whole thing because I think somebody was talking like to me, not at me. And I would go screw up half the things that I was supposed (laughs) to half do because I thought that I understood it, but it was only be, I only understood a quarter of the thought because they were in the middle of the thought. So, um, as a, essentially as something to be cautious about, I guess, is, is be aware that if you are thinking verbally or even non-verbally as you know, if you're thinking with your hands, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. um, know that some people might be catching the fact that they're, they think you're telling them what to do, uh, when in fact you're just processing and just be aware. Cause if you start to see them run away and you're like, <laughs> go do stuff and you're like, Hey, wait, nope. That ain't it yet. We're not, th- we're not there yet. Um, I, mean, I feel that a lot when sometimes when I'm on, like, I'm running triage and Carlo's the doctor because all of a sudden he's, yeah. and it, I don't know how we manage to do it. It's, we both talk sometimes in these long sentences, which I do it to him all the time where he's like, oh, so so-and-so needs this, this, this. And then he's jumping from like eight different patients and I stop and I've caught myself doing it a couple times. I've stopped listening halfway through his yep. words because it's too many for me. And it's like, yep. it's like, you got that? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. That's actually, <laughs> and it. it still gets done, and exactly yeah. what he said. But it's like I'm, I'm done listening because you're using too many words right now. Well, and he repeats himself because mm-hmm. that's the way that he processes mm-hmm. what's in front of him. Uh, because he's not actually telling you to go eight patients deep. He's telling you to go three patients deep, and then he's like, okay, now we got to do this and this and this. And he gets yep. quieter too. Yeah. If you've ever noticed that, like, he'll tell you what to do. Like, hey, here's this. Go do this. Here's this. Go do that. And then he'll start, he'll zone in, he'll get quiet, he'll like, and then he's off to the next thing. Yep. It's just, it's slowly, it's, it's fascinating to watch, but that's ex- exactly what's happening is he's just thinking. 
So, so yeah, just be aware of it because uh, if you're going down the process of a new journey uh, in communication, sometimes weird shit happens. Some don't make a Heather case out of it. I mean, I'm not the greatest at communicating, so it, it, like it depends just, on the day, I guess. There are times where it's like you just have your specific skill sets. Yes, you're just very particular about the way in which you're good at communicating. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, so yeah, uh, I mean, we're we're pretty much at an hour. I think we I cannot believe that we covered almost everything that we thought we were going to cover and then some we got a heather case in there which <laughs> my next God. challenge is going to try to get heather up here before trevor uh, but then again i want to get trevor up here first so he loses both. that the both. key is both i mean we could bring Sarayan and then we have everyone that's here on an overnight then too that would be frightening <laughs> truly frightening the, th the four people that normally sleep during the day awake yes. during the day talking yes. or we'll do a podcast after midnight <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do that. Can I bring the alcohol for myself? Then? Absolutely. <laughs> that will require it. Yes. Wait, who's going to be the tech on the uh, floor? Yeah, so that, that was my next thought. Like, I don't know who's going to run the show, but we're going to figure it out. Uh, <laughs> Carlo can come run the show. He's got it. He can handle the whole <laughs> yeah, place by himself. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, there, there we go. Now we got we got a couple of different challenges, different different things. Um, yeah, we'll have to get you back in as you start to get some some more reps on here too, and we'll uh, even even too uh, keep an eye out for it too. If you mm -hmm. find somebody that's been maybe more receptive to it, maybe throw them in here too, and you guys can you know talk about kind of how that's been going too so i'm all mm -hmm. ideas i got microphones in a in a computer so let's just, <laughs> let's make some content we have everything we need yes we do so uh i guess with that i'll probably uh take us out of this that's all right with you all knock right. yourselves out <laughs> oh thank you guys for tuning in thank you molly for joining us and we see y'all next week